1: Ooh, ooh. What up? This is Papita Garcia again. Cool Bob Love. You are not checking out. Scoopy Radio, you heard?
0: What's up? It's your boy Lil' Bibby. Boy, Duffin' the Dr. Shaquille O'Neal. Hey, I'm Swing Cash of New York Liberty, and you're checking out Scoopy Radio. Hey, yo, check this out, son. Yep. Watch out, watch man. out. You're now listening in to Scooby Radio. Everybody, please turn up the stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend to let the family know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop about to take the glow, man and yeah, we about to blow. Yeah. 543, we on the air. I know they gon' love this one, I swear. He what you needed, what you wanna air. He's the man with the plan. Uh, you need a scope, he got the scope, he got the trophy manny out. We ring a bell, you know it's real The interviews and get pills now listen, yeah. TV radio, so everybody please turn up the stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend and let the family know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop about to take the glow. Man, he, yeah, we're about the flow? Yeah, Scoop. Be on his Instagram Hello? now. Follow At him. E. At Scoop B follow him. Yes, sir. Scoop, Scoop, Scoop B radio. Yeah, wait on the plane, on the train, everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at ScoopB. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly, that you all are subscribed to the Scoopy Radio Podcast, which is available on all podcast networks, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, iHeartRadio, or simply by visiting Scoop B Radio. Dot com. We got a lot of time these days, and this week is Nets Week uh, on Scoopy Radio. So we're kicking it off with a guy that was an all-star when he was in the net, none other, than Stefan Marbury. Sir, welcome to Scoopy Radio. What Radio. up? Radio. Nothing, man. Your movie, your documentary, I came from Coney Island, is number one on the Apple streaming, services. First and foremost, man, that's pretty cool to tell you a story. It feels like I'm watching He Got Game all over again, but in real life.
1: <laughs> this is the real He Got Game.
0: <laughs> so help me
1: understand <laughs> something. Fake. People, what you say? I said that was the fake He Got Game. That was the fake one. That wasn't the real one.
0: I used to read, they said that 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 he got game, um, was loosely based on your life. How much of that was actually you? I mean, you can't go to
1: Lincoln High School without you can't go to Lincoln High School and don't have a Barbary name in that. It don't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really it's that simple. I mean, Spike. He asked me to. He asked me to audition to play me, and I wouldn't do that. So he went upon and just did what he wanted to do. Literally, he stole the story. I mean, in, in essence, because it wasn't his story to tell. But I think my documentary it shed that light, and then it pretty much pushed that to the side. No, that's real. Um,
0: you. I've been in the news a lot recently um because of your uh trap- or rather your charitable endeavors uh, we've got two come to be a stuff on the line masks um are a thing uh, you have donated a ton of masks to new york city um because of the need of what's going on with coronavirus. What prompted you um to get that started
1: uh well, I um I helped facilitate through people I knew to help the city of New York get masks because of the pandemic that's going on. Um, I thought that it was important for me to try to help it help in any way that I was able to, being that that's where I'm from, and knowing that the virus is spreading the way how it's spreading and that was one of the things that was needed. I thought that that would be something that would be good that the city
0: could get. You have been quoted as saying that you tipped off uh, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver about uh, the coronavirus days before league uh, suspended play. What was that conversation like?
1: Well, I sent him a long email basically just telling him that it was really serious and that He had to stop the games, I thought, because, you know, the fans could get infected, the players could get infected, and, you know, it was just, it wasn't good that someone can literally catch this this virus and die from it, from just going to a basketball game. So, I mean, for me, it was more so just staying in communication with him and I'm sure he had his own resources of people that were telling him different things. I just wanted to make sure that I said something to him because I felt compelled to do so, being that I had an understanding of what was going on in China.
0: The Ch- The Chinese Basketball Association uh, has kind of set in the trend of how sports leagues can Um, handle, uh, whether it's canceling, postponing, or or whatever uh, it may be, uh, their league. Um, I guess when you look at the situation with the NBA uh, and them being in limbo, if you were running the league, if you were the commissioner, how would you handle it um, this season? Would you cancel? What would you do? I mean, at this
1: point, you can't have basketball unless you create a bubble where everyone goes and stays in one place and no one else can go come in or go out. Um, and I think that would be something that, I mean, it can be done, but I don't know based upon the time frame and um, quarantine and all of the people and the staff and all of the, um, all of the teams and, players and staff of people that come from the teams, if they all would go to one one place. Um, so it's pretty intense right now then how the virus is spreading and how no one has gotten in front of it. So being that no one has gotten in front of it, you can't really speak and talk about basketball right now when life is being lost.
0: How have they handled it in China, uh, which is different from the way that it's, hand, it's been handled in the United States, as far as quarantining, as far as uh, people just taking action? Do you think that in America, they're more just, I guess the term would be hyper Harry to get back to work and normal life? I mean, is there was there a level of impatience with how people in, in China were handling the situation and staying home? What's the difference?
1: I mean, there's two different governments and how they're handling it. Um, one, is the party which is um a party where and where they basically follow the orders of the of the emperor emperor she so Mm -hmm. our governance is governed by um donald trump and you have different states that have their own rules and what they're doing i think from how they handled it here was completely different because they've had this experience before with SARS. So because hmm. they've experienced this with SARS, they had a way deeper understanding and how to react and how to respond and then also how to create a solution. We've never been in this situation before in America other than 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. So because um, we've never been in that position before, and the people that did live um are in their hundreds and living right now. So they were children. So they really didn't have that understanding to be able to give that insight and input to help make a, a transition or create a solution. So I think from the way how I see how they handled the quarantine and how they handled the lockdown was it was needed. And I think when you create this structure this infrastructure and how China handled it because as i said they had the experience with SARS people already knew and they were aware that it was needed for the lockdown it was needed for the 14 day quarantine because that's how long it takes to, to know how to know if, if 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 a person has the virus or not throughout that 14 day time period So people weren't um, rebelling against that. They weren't looking at it as it being martial law was being induced on them. They were looking at it like, this would be the way that we will find out who has the virus and who, who doesn't. Of course, not everybody's in agreement with it, but this was the way of how it went. And this is how they were able to get in front of it. So when you see that they're back to normal and back to work, you have an understanding that they knew what they were doing when they were doing it. I think from our standpoint, you know, as I said earlier on one of the shows I was talking on ESPN, if you got one state open in the beach and then another state not open in the beach, all of those people that are at the beach, they're all infecting each other if they're infected. Chances okay, are somebody's are infected if, it, if there's a hundred people at the beach and they're all coming in close encounter with each other. It's not like you can't go next to anyone when you're at the beach. You're pretty much right next to each other. So that's creating complications and one state doing what they're supposed to do and keeping their numbers down and following the protocol, despite all of the challenges and um, this, you know, the, the, you know the severity of of what's going on and how they feel the anxiety, the the, the depression that is causing and creating. You gotta follow a regimen and you gotta follow a way, which is trying to make sure that you you're not out there infecting other people if you're infected or figuring out if you need to quarantine and for how long. So you got the group that's not doing the things that they're supposed to do and then now those people go different places so that person that was in just say, using this for an example if they were in florida and then now Mm -hmm. they went to Geor they went to georgia or they went you know to new york you know and now they didn't know that they were infected and then now they went around somebody in new york and now they give that to somebody in New York. And then that person goes and they have an a elderly person that has a respiratory problem. Just not knowing, not on purpose, just not knowing. And then that person has a respiratory problem. as soon as that person gets it, right away, that person dies because it attacks the immune system. And the body, the immune system isn't strong enough. So these are the, the things that are happening and what's going on. and. Us not being able to to get in get in front of it in America. For me personally, I feel like we gotta because the the doctors can't cre- they can't create the curve. The people create the curve. Hmm. So when the people when the people get on the same page to do to to make the curve stop, that's when it that's when the curve happens. It's not gonna be the doctors doing it. That's my opinion. I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a specialist. I'm just going by from what I'm what I'm what I've seen and what I've heard and from paying attention to all of what's been going on.
0: No, you're not a doctor, but you are um you are well versed uh in American culture and Chinese culture as well, having played basketball out there. Um, Scoopy Radio on the line with Brooklyn Zone, uh Stephon Marbury. It, it, US President Donald Trump uh has called uh, the coronavirus, the Chinese virus. Um, I'm curious, from your perspective, how they're receiving that in China. No
1: one receives that well in China. I mean, that's just not—it's not something that people here are happy with
0: hearing. How do you? Um, I guess being in China, when people you being, you know, American and they ask you questions about that, how do you explain that? I asked you about coronavirus in America as it relates to China. I'm sure folks ask you about, you know, President Trump as it relates to uh, what he says about the coronavirus. How do you explain that to people when when they bring it up in China?
1: Actually, no one really brings it up to me or say anything to me about it. you you already know, you can tell from what people say, what people write on their social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people aren't happy about that.
0: Yeah. You, uh, in my opinion, um, played the best or one of the most exciting, um, NBA all-star games, uh, in the last, I guess, twenty twenty five years, it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the two thousand NBA All Star Game when you remember a member of the Nets, and you guys came that came from, from behind and ended up beating the Western Conference. It was you. It was Vince Carter. It was Grant Hill. It was it was uh, Allen Iverson. Uh, you spearheaded that. Um, I'm curious to know, from your perspective, when you look at the All Star games in recent years, um, particularly in 2020 this year, it was pretty exciting. Um, when you think of that 2000 All Star game, um, do you think that was one of the last uh, best All Star games played?
1: Um, I didn't I didn't watch this year's All Star game because I felt That's like it was going to be great. So I can't really say, and I haven't, I I mean, I've seen a couple of highlights, but I knew that it would be really great and it would be memorable because of Kobe Bryant. And I felt Mm -hmm. like guys, you know, and I was speaking and talking about that before the game that I thought that this year's all-star game would be better than our all-star game. Um, Today, without me seeing it, I I think our all-star game is, you know, by far the best All-Star game because we played with so much passion. and It was just about winning. That, that's all it was about. And everybody was playing hard. Everybody's playing defense. Of course, the All-Star game, you're going to have your flashes and your flashy moments where you're going to be doing all of the fancy stuff on the court. But for the most part, when it came down to it in the fourth quarter, we got after it. You know, guys were setting real picks. Guys were fighting over picks. Guys were going to the basket as hard as they can. The focus and the, the level of the game, the intensity, it turned all the way up. And um, those were the best players on the court. You know, the top, well, I shouldn't say the best players, but some people may not feel like We, we had the top players, some of the, some of the top players in the NBA on the court. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me to have been able to experience that moment, it was it was fun. I mean, it was a fun time in basketball.
0: And to be more specific, that was my bad. It was actually the 2001 NBA All-Star Game was at Washington, D.C., when it was the MCI Center. And for those who maybe were too young and don't remember, uh, Stephon uh, helped the East by hitting two three-pointers in the final 53 seconds, including one with 28 seconds left, uh, which proved to be the game winner. Steph, you were on fire in that game
1: i mean i had some I had some big shots at the end of the game um i I got into a space and that was it. I
0: remember um there was a move that you did where you put the ball i think it was under Vladi Diva. it was like a over under. Do you remember that move? yeah, I remember when you're making moves like that. Um, it's instincts. But when you went back and you watched the tape, were you like, "Damn!" Like to me, that's just fascinating. Like, like, how did you know to take the mole, put it under him, put it over him, and then shoot it? That that move was like pretty crazy to me.
1: I mean, it was a I I got that move from Steve Smith. I don't know if you remember Steve Smith. He's a little older. We played Smitty? Michigan State, Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, Smitty. You remember Smitty, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I no. got that move. I got that. I got that move from him. He taught me that move. Um. He always said, "Oh, you gotta get you could do it and get it on the big dudes." Um. <laughs> so I mean, it's, you know, the, he came out. He put his arms up. So it was the perfect opportunity
0: to do it. Kevin Garnett is the Hall of Famer. Uh, was in, was was announced that he will be inducted into the basketball hall of fame. How cool is that to see him uh, be one of those names on that list?
1: It's, I mean, it's super cool for him. It's, it's deserved. I mean, he's done a lot for basketball. He's definitely made his mark on the game. Kev loves basketball. That's his that's his passion. That's his love. That's where he get on the court. That's that's his. You know, that's his life right there.
0: Do you ever think what if, if you guys had stuck together in Minnesota? Um,
1: I really don't play that what if game because if really doesn't exist. But, you know, playing with Kev was, was always, it was always fun playing with him. Um, I love playing with Kev. I love playing in Minnesota. It was great. I just, I couldn't give seven years of my life living in Minnesota. Hmm. Um, I grew grew up in New York in the melting part where it was black, white, Chinese, Puerto Rican, Italian, all different types of races. Um, And when I moved to Minnesota, it was predominantly white. Um, After leaving Georgia Tech where I lived in Atlanta. So you go from a melting pot to a place where there's a lot of black people to where you go and it's six percent black people. It was a it was a culture shock for me. So I mean I was evaluating my life, not just basketball. Um, and I'm not saying that you know I couldn't have stayed there and played there, but with the snow and how bad it how cold it was, it was like forty below. You you'd wake up and some days it'd be like, Oh, if you go outside and you know, if you don't have this and this, you can die. And I'm like, I don't wanna die from I mean I I I, I know I'm gonna die one day, but I don't wanna die from <laughs> going outside of my car and I my car stopped working and I got on just a regular jacket and I can't, you know, I don't have all of the things that I'm supposed to have in my car, which you should, blankets and all of these different things. It was just a different way of living, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't really down with it like that, like going ice fishing and all of that. That wasn't really my, it really wasn't something that, you know, I was down for. I mean, now I'm older, so I can adjust to anything, right? But it's a, it's a, a, it was a different thing at 18, 19, 19 years old. So, you know, it was great.
0: When you got traded to the Nets, um, everybody built it as a, a, a coming home of sorts, playing in New Jersey, you being from Brooklyn. I asked Kenny Anderson this because I've always been curious. Um, you played for the Nets in New Jersey. Um, how often were you back and forth between Brooklyn and Jersey? I mean, I went home a lot. I
1: don't know how, in, how much, but I, I was home a lot. Man, is it me. hard
0: is it is it a distraction so everybody can't play at home for you how did you balance your time and how did you stay focused you being so closer to home um i mean I like
1: I like doing work when I get on the court so it was easy for me to make adjustments
0: i remember you going against the Lakers in the Nets uniform, um, and you had this acrobatic, you had a series of dunks, um, you you hit a series of threes against the Lakers and Kobe, and you guys won that game. Um, How competitive um, or how much were your competitive juices flowing knowing that you were on the court against Kobe and Shaq? Oh, we lost that game. <laughs>
1: we lost that game, but playing against those guys, and anytime you play against uh, top players, you, you always bring your game out because if you don't, they're gonna you know they're going to bring theirs out. So it's either you're going to do you or they're going to do you.
0: <laughs> Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are members of the Nets. Um, they signed with the Nets in the off season. Um, and you know, next season it looks like those two, uh, will be, um, you know, on the court at the same time. Do you think that there's going to be an adjustment, uh, when those two finally get on the court together?
1: Um, I think those two on the court is going to be pretty magical. I think it's going to put, it's going to put, um, things in perspective as far as how good they really are and what their capabilities are because Kyrie Irving is a different monster and Kevin Durant is a different monster and them two together, because they have good energy with each other and they're on the same page, they're going to flow perfectly. So I think it's going to be good.
0: I remember I was in college and I um, saw you put the moves on Yao Ming, that crossover that made him sit down. Um, When you look at the impact that Yao Ming had on China, where do you think, um, I I guess, does it inspire you? And do you like to see um, that other guys like, Um, have come into the NBA since Yao Ming um, and have made an impact. So I guess my first question is, how cool is it to, number one, see um, Yao Ming um, make an impact in the NBA, become a Hall of Famer, and um, the impact that he's left for people in China who want to, um, you know, potentially play NBA basketball one day?
1: I mean, he came... He did what he was supposed to do for his nation to have um, a goal for them to have a goal and to, insp- to inspire towards that goal. He set the, me, the I mean, he laid the pavement down for people to go down this road to plan in the NBA to reach a, a high a high level because there were other Chinese players that played in the NBA before him. He was the one that really play China on the map. So I think opportunity is there. All someone has to do is go and do the work to put themselves in that position.
0: I remember the blackout. And if I'm not mistaken, you were on Fat Joe's team. And the game got canceled. LeBron James was supposed to be on Jay-Z's team. Um, what are your recollections about the game at Rucker Park that was never played?
1: That's exactly what it is. It was a game that never was played, <laughs> and, and that's it. And nothing more, nothing less. It's a bunch of talk that was done, but nobody played, so it don't matter.
0: Who was on your team?
1: I forgot, man. <laughs> that was a lot Really? Guy. It was a lot of. It was. Ah. Kareem Reed. um was Ron Artest? Jermaine O'Neill. We had a squad. I
0: forget. We had a lot of guys. I just remember, you know, you see footage on MSG. Um, and you see social media talking about it now. And it's just one of those things It was like, it was almost like people want to believe that Santa Claus was there and it wasn't there. Um, that to me, um, like you said, it was a game that was supposed to happen that that never happened. Um, and then there were so many clues um, through hip hop songs um, about, you know, what was it, uh, Thad Joe said, not even Pee Wee Kirkland couldn't imagine this. She didn't have to play to win the championship. <laughs> Mhm. How hype was Fat Joe for that
1: game? I mean, he was charged up. He was ready. He was super charged. I mean, he loved basketball. And this was a time where he had he had basketball right in the palm of his hands inside of the place where everybody wanted to play for in the street.
0: If social media existed, then you look at Zion oh, Williams.
1: Forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. It's no, I can't even put no if. if. that's why I said you can't do if.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think in you today's day and age, I think in today's day and age, my mom would say should have, could have, would have. My aunt was my uncle; she'd be my uncle. Um, <laughs> And that's the edited version. But when you look at it, I mean, I feel like everybody wants the shoulda, coulda, woulda. I think the same thing applies for when you're talking about Michael and Kobe and, and LeBron. You know, people want to put um, people on these pedestals or, or, or rank them. Kyle Kuzma recently told me, uh, you man, know, you got it.
1: You said people want to rank Jordan. I mean, why? Jordan shouldn't even be ranked. It should be... Kobe, then LeBron, and then you know you could you could pick you could pick guys after that. I mean, it's just not it's no comparison, man. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not the same. It's just different worlds, different different mentalities. I mean, I I don't know why Jordan' name is mentioned in the same conversation sometimes. Just to you know, I'll clear that up real quick. I mean, there's no really no need to talk about that.
0: Yeah, I think you should. Be, Michael should be put in the category of, of Kareem and Bill Russell, um, and he should, or he should be just put in his own category.
1: I mean, as the best player. I mean, those guys, right. Kareem and 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 Bill Russell. Somebody had to, you know, give them the basketball to do what they do. He didn't have to give. Jordan got the ball and then that was it. You know, those guys, Kareem and Bill Russell and Shaq, you know, those type of guys are different specimens on earth that play the game. Jordan is not. He's not from earth. <laughs> he's not he's not, he's not from earth. That's different. <laughs> not. not the same. <laughs> Right. It's not the same. And I think, you know, it's going to be really insightful when they drop that, Michael Joy, when they drop that whole piece. I don't know if they dropped it yet, that series. April I 19th. Is kids going to... April 19th? Yeah, it's going to uh-huh. be... Kids, I mean, this... And the, the, the crazy part is that now everybody is home, so nobody can't go nowhere. So all the little kids are going to have to watch it. And then they're going to be like, damn... This is crazy. So it's kind of like going to mess things up for, you know, guys like LeBron James and them saying that he's, you know, what, you know, that he's – you can't say LeBron James better than Michael Jordan. Come on, man. (laughs) He's a great player. Don't get it wrong. He's a great, great player. Unbelievable. Amazing. But better than Michael Jordan? (laughs) It's not even the same. Not even the same. It's just different. Without even no explanation or or explaining, because you can't talk about Jordan's game. It's like you only could talk about what people are not. <laughs>
0: yeah. so it's, it's Just the facts. Your rookie season, ninety six, uh, was the NBA's fiftieth anniversary. Um. And I guess my question, you know, the Bulls won a championship there. year. Do you remember the first time you laced them up against Michael? Your first game? Yeah,
1: I remember. Yeah, I remember. What, I remember like it was yesterday. What you I was just in awe. Ah, that's all. I was so in awe. Ah, they jumped ball. They scored. I was like standing there looking. And then after that, I snapped out of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, that's good. Oh, you scored. <laughs> but it's fun, man. It's fun being able to say you played against Jordan. You went at Jordan and Jordan said, you know, I couldn't deny we're young blood. So the real spoke on the real.
0: I feel like oftentimes in your early part of your career, um, I want to say from like 96 to like 99, maybe 2000. Um, Many people try to um, compare you and Allen Iverson uh, rather than appreciate you guys' greatness. Scoop B Radio. How enjoyable was it going toe-to-toe with AI uh, early in you guys' career?
1: I mean, we really didn't go toe-to-toe because I always guarded him. He never really guarded me. But what we did... When, you know, when we did play against each other and regarded each other, I mean, it's always fun. I mean, it's it's always exciting to play against one of the best players to play. You know, Allen is amazing. You know, at, at basketball, his size, his will, his ability, there's nobody at that size better. I've never seen nobody at that size like him. I mean, just phenomenal. It's just crazy. I mean, his, athletic, his athleticism has, you know, he's got this lanky, wiry, strong, skinny body that can do so many different things on the court amongst trees, amongst guys that are a little bit taller than him and stronger than him. He just figured it out.
0: I always felt that you were ahead of your time um, seeing you on TV representing Brooklyn, representing China is really no surprise. Um, I feel like you were probably the most popular person to pack up and go to China. Um, and, and really, you had a brand before then, but you became global um, in today's game. You I feel like there's a lot of guys who copy your moves. You look at, you know, the sneaker game, you had the Starberry sneakers that were nineteen ninety nine and then you see the 50, balls do it. Fourteen ninety nine. I apologize, fourteen ninety um, nine. Even better. Fourteen ninety eight once that <laughs> when, you, when, when you look at um what the ball did, LeVar, Alonzo and Moore with the big baller brand. Um, and I'll put this out there. Patrick Ewan was really the guy that, that really did the whole branding thing and having their own sneaker that I remember from my childhood uh, when he had the Ewing sneakers, and they're popular, and particularly in New York now, but when you look at uh, what you did and you look at the balls, does it kind of make you feel like deja vu?
1: I mean, I, mean I didn't create the world or try to reinvent it. I just was the person that did it in a way that was conducive towards people and creating actors and access for all for them. Um, I think what they did, they had really good intentions in creating their own platform for themselves, but the price point was just, it was too high for somebody who really didn't do nothing in basketball before he got into into the game. Um, you come into the game and you're trying to sell if he higher than Michael Jordan. I mean, it's kind of, it's a little different. And I don't even approve of Michael Jordan sneakers being that high. That's just me personally. Mm -hmm. Especially when you know kids are getting killed for his shoes. If one kid got killed for a pair of sneakers, for me, I probably wouldn't have never ever sold shoes at that price point. It would have changed from the beginning. But that's me. You know what I'm saying? So I can't really, I can't really speak on that. But. I think their intentions were right in doing their own brand
0: and doing it their own way. No, that's real. Sweetie ready on the line with uh, three-time CBA champion, uh, CBA finals MVP, CBA foreign MVP, uh, Stephon Marbury talking all things basketball, global, and more. Uh, Taking a look at the NBA, Derrick Rose uh, has had a resurgence over the last couple of years. Have you gotten a chance to look at his game, uh, particularly this year in Detroit, and what do you make of it?
1: I mean, he looks like himself without the ultra-athleticism, but everything is intact. His short, mid-range pull-up, his floaters, his left hand, his right hand, his speed to the basket, using his first step and, you know, getting guys to go lateral while he's in the continuance and going forward, using herky jerky moves, um, he's just, you know, doing the things that he's that he that he normally does. I think he's a lot more mature with this game. He has his style. He knows his style, and he understands where he wants
0: to go on the court. Is LeBron James the NBA's MVP this season?
1: Um, I mean, you could go either way. You could go with LeBron. You could go with the Freak. Um, He's having a great year, LeBron. He really came back strong this year and how he's playing and how um, the Lakers are. You know, the Lakers came in strong. I mean, they got Anthony Davis. That's another top pick. They put some really good players around LeBron. Um, So I think it it could could go either way. I think with the Greek Freak, he's out there in the East, basically making it work in a small market, which is which is hard.
0: Was it what was the biggest adjustment for you transitioning from being a player and being a coach? And by the way, bro, them suits you wearing? Um, them, they they they're stylish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some pictures of the Getty Images Was Mm -hmm. there a big adjustment for you to to transition
1: from player to coach? Yeah, it's a lot of work, you know, and you're not used to doing that. And you got to basically become the the parent, the psychiatrist, the coach, the leader, all of these different things all into one. So, you know, you got to conform into something and it's a process. It's every second process. It's no evolving or you're there it's always something that you can learn so you're constantly forcing yourself to to try to to be better for your for your players to give them more and i'm always trying to give them more um but at first i didn't want to coach i didn't i wanted to chill for three or four years and then relax but as i I told somebody i was like man you know my my godfather out here i call him he was like oh you know stuff on you know when nobody wants to eat cold food when the food comes out and it's cold right hmm. so you know you, you just you, you retired and this is a good time to get back into it while you're still fresh and hot so I made the
0: decision you were traded for Jason Kidd um, he he came to New Jersey you went to Phoenix um, and I remember I was in college when when this was said. But you said that you know you're the best point guard in the NBA, and people scoffed at that. Do you think that that was blown out of proportion?
1: Mm, I mean, everything I do and everything I say is blown out of proportion. So it was it wasn't like I was expecting it to be that. If you don't feel that way, who's gonna feel it for you? Hmm. That's real. It is what it is. I mean it wasn't like my game wasn't speaking. But right. it my game was talking.
0: Yeah. I think that <laughs> people were comparing I think people were comparing. I think I think people look at Jason Kidd and look at him as a complete point guard. I think people looked at you, and it's funny because when I looked at your game, you're a scoring point guard who dished it out. I feel like your prototype was ahead of the curve um, in an era where everybody was in love with the pass first point guard. Now the way that you played is the standard. You look at Derrick Rose. You can't play Kyrie I mean, Irving.
1: You can't play in the NBA get in the, as a point guard if you can't score. I mean, it is what it is. That's the game you got the ball first. You take the ball out, who got the ball first? I mean, I think more so, I, I mean, I play with the, I, I think I play with more 10-day contract guys in the history of basketball. Hmm. Like, I mean, when I came, when I played in New Jersey, everybody got hurt. And then when he got traded, when I got, when, when, when he got traded for me, everybody got healthy. Like, literally be guys were li- really hurt. Like, real injuries. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I I got I was in a a tough spot, but at the same time I, I didn't allow that to stop me from going out and hooping. I hooped every night.
0: Yeah, I remember that team. You guys had uh, Kenya Martin on that team. Your, your cousin uh, Jamel Thomas played on that um on that roster for a little while. I think you guys made history by being related and you know playing on the same team. Step five was on that team. Um, Byron Scott was coaching that team. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that team had a lot of names, like you said, they were hurt.
1: Terry Kittles, Keith Van Horn. I mean, and then they got Richard Jefferson. So over time, they, you know, they it, it started they started to um, get some more players. But you know, this, that that's basketball. That happens. Guys get hurt all the time. It just so happened that everybody got hurt. <laughs> I mean, my star and center was George Marathon. I mean by the by the second half came, Big Judge was hurt. <laughs> big Judgy couldn't even run up and down the court by the time the second half came. Oh
0: man. George. I wow. Man, you took me back because I forgot that he was on that team. That's dag on too.
1: Yeah. Team, to you. <laughs> uh, a lot of people people forgot about who was on the team. Mark Hendrickson, Jamie Fight. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. I Scott think I, I definitely probably played. Yeah, Scott Burrell, Johnny Newman, Kendall Gill, Lucius Harris. I mean, it was, you know. Jim McElveen. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Different.
0: What is your fondest memory of your next day?
1: My fondest memory? hmm When the arena used to get crowded. <laughs> Man, when the arenas used to be packed. And it was in often... The Lakers, the Knicks. You won about three or four
0: games. <laughs> and you grew up uh on Surfside Garden or well, playing in Surfside Gardens. Um and you played on it like it was the Garden. Um, when you played on at Madison Square Garden, um, was it a dream come true? And um what was who was the first person you called when you got traded?
1: I think I called my mom when I first got traded. Um, you know, playing in New York, the first the first year I was there, I mean, the first time I went, I mean, it was the dream come true. I, I'm a Knicks fan. I grew up a Knicks fan. You know, we I lived right outside. We, the name of the court was called the Garden. Right. So, for me, um, this is this is life. This is everything that you dream of as a basketball player—to be in this space, to be in this position, and playing there—it was magical. Even during the tough times, because the Garden is the Garden. It's not. There's no player that make up the Garden. The garden makes up the garden. Sure. Not Patrick Ewan, not Bernard King, not nobody. It's it's the garden it has its own identity. The Mecca.
0: Last question. Who is the best New York City point guard? other than yourself, to play in the NBA?
1: Who's the best point guard other than myself? I mean, that's a loaded question, dude. You got Tiny Archibald. You got, you got Kenny Anderson. You got so many point guards, not even it's 20. Khalid Reeves. <laughs> it's a gang of point guards. I mean, I don't rate myself as the best point guard in New York. Not when you got guys like Tiny Archibald. I right. Mean, that, that right there, I mean, he was a, a monster. It's just people don't know about him.
0: Here's the good news. You're off the hot seat, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right,
0: bro. Thanks for letting Brother. me on. Thank you for your time.
1: No problem, man. It's all good. Scoop
0: B Radio.